Hello and welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Dr. Ali Bakir. He's a research assistant professor at Ibn Khaldun Center for Humanities and Social Sciences, Qatar University, Doha, and he's an analyst following geopolitical and security trends in the Middle East. His article, Mapping the Rise of Turkey's Hard Power, written for the New Lines Institute, is a must-read for anyone intrigued, as I am, by the foreign policy maneuvers of President Erdogan. But our conversation today is about the aims and ambitions of the United Arab Emirates as it continues to position itself as a regional power player. Ali, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Will. I'm uh, always uh, happy to be with you. In a recent article for uh, Mina Affairs, you wrote about the visit of Abdullah bin Zayed, the brother of Abu Dhabi's crown prince, Mohammed bin Zayed. Abdullah was uh, meeting uh, in his capacity as UAE foreign minister, Bashir al-Assad in Damascus. And in the article, you argue that the outcome of this meeting uh, effectively strengthened Iran's hand. Can you talk us through your thinking on that point? Oh, yeah. Uh, the issue is that uh, the UAE has been uh, publicly normalizing its relations with Assad uh, at least uh, since uh, 2018. And uh, uh, also uh, Abu Dhabi has been the force behind uh, the efforts to uh, re-legitimatize uh, Assad regime and uh, uh, embrace him uh, again by the Arab countries. The, the spin is that uh, which which the uh, Emirati officials have been promoting and also many uh, experts in this regard is that uh, stronger relations uh, with Assad uh, will uh, decrease the Iranian influence in Syria and eventually put an end to it. So my uh, basic argument is that this is uh, absurd of course because you cannot decrease iran's influence in syria by supporting iran's men in syria i mean this is uh, this is nonsense and uh, secondly uh, the oee and other uh, arab gulf countries also tried to uh, prove the the same theory in 2006 uh, after uh, uh, assassinating the former Prime Minister of Lebanon, Rafiq al-Hariri. And the, the idea was that we should not leave uh, Assad to Iran, we should re-engage with it, we should support him uh, financially and uh, politically. And uh, the result uh, was a stronger uh, Syrian-Iranian relation. What will happen now is that um, I think that uh, Assad and uh, Iran will be very happy with the Emirati effort and they will utilize these efforts and the Arab efforts also to uh, embrace him again to the Arab League and to the, uh, you know, the Arab meetings. I think that they will utilize these efforts to uh, decrease the political and financial burden on them. So Iran and Assad will, will be uh, benefited uh, because they are expecting financial and political support from UAE and other Arab countries. And this will ultimately strengthen Iran's influence in Syria. Thirdly, there is no reason whatsoever to believe that Assad will distance himself uh, from Iran because UAE or any other uh, Arab country reach out to him. And uh, uh, he knows very well that Iran uh, is the reason, is one primary reason why he is still in the power and um, no matter what uh, any other Arab country will offer to him will not compensate the 
Iranian support since 2010 or the Syrian revolution, at least. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, Ali, because you know we are seeing a more subtle diplomatic approach by the UAE in theaters like Libya and Yemen, uh, as opposed to the hard power approach. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, was this visit a, a clever strategy, a win for soft power diplomacy, or or was it uh, an own goal? Um, because of course this is happening just ahead of the renewed nuclear talks uh, between the Iranians and the Biden administration, and you're arguing that the Iranians are heading into it uh, stronger rather than in a position of weakness. Um, we have been witnessing a period of escalation, as you know, in the region since uh, Biden administration came to power. And uh, um, consequently, re uh, regional uh, players readjusted their and policies to to fit the new reality, including the Emiratis, of course. Uh, however, I believe that UAE didn't drop its ideological orientation or ideological agenda in in the region. All what what is trying to do is to achieve during uh, during the peace what it failed to achieve during the war. So, also UAE is aware that uh, by the administration is appeasing Iran uh, and no confrontation uh, is expected during Biden's administration period. So uh, from their perspective, why not to uh, benefit from a better relation with Iran right now since uh, the U.S. administration also is trying to reach a deal with Iran. So basically, I think that uh, UAE is also strengthening its relation with, with Iran through economy. They are uh, expecting more than $20 billion bilateral trade. Uh, UAE also is improving its relation with Assad, which will ultimately improve its relation with Iran also. And uh, they are not hiding it. I mean, uh, the chief advisor of the Emirati president, uh, uh, Anwar Gargash, had a, a statement, I, I guess, yesterday or two days ago. And he was mainly saying this, that they want to improve their relations with Iran. And Iran is quite happy, actually, from the uh, Emirati policies, whether in uh, Yemen, in Syria, whether it is related to economy or other uh, dimensions. So I guess that they are on the same page, even if uh, some experts are trying to promote the UAE foreign policy as a hawkish anti-Iranian problem. I don't, I don't believe that this is accurate or true. That's interesting. So really what you're saying then is that the Emiratis have quite a, a, a wide-reaching approach here that uh, Assad is one part of the puzzle, but the bigger piece of that puzzle is uh, building up its relations with Iran. Yes, true. But also we should not forget that uh, reaching out to Assad uh, serves UAE's uh, ideological agenda. At the end of the day, Assad and Iran uh, were the primary factor to block the Arab revolutions in the region and to prevent them from reaching other countries, including the probably the some of the Gulf countries. So by also supporting Assad, UAE is supporting itself and its ideological agenda in the regions. And we can see this also through uh, other examples, whether in Tunisia, in Sudan, uh, in Libya. Yeah, well, that's interesting because as you suggest, this uh, ideological approach, which is that uh, the Emiratis will support authoritarian figures, authoritarian initiatives against a, a democratic impulse. And as you say, we've seen that uh, in Sudan, in, in Libya, in Tunisia. Um, 
But let me ask you about Joe Biden and how the Emiratis see Joe Biden. I mean, do they look at him? Does MBZ see a weak American president whose weakness he can exploit for his own regional gain? Well, uh, look, first, uh, when Biden came to power, uh, uh, he was was downgraded. It's false. Uh, it's uh, uh, destructive foreign policy uh, agenda is no longer useful. And we saw that uh, other countries like Qatar, for example, was upgraded. And, it, and uh, the need to uh, its role as a mediator and facilitator became more important. So we saw this in uh, Afghanistan, for example, and such situation is um, no way suitable for uh, the Emiratis. Having said this, we have seen no pushback by the Biden administration uh, whenever uh, Abu Dhabi, for example, violated uh, U.S. sanctions or uh, violated uh, uh, non-red lines in the region, whether in Syria or uh, in any other countries. And no powerful reaction, for example, came from Biden administration uh, regarding the soft coup in Tunisia, uh, regarding the military coup in Sudan, regarding the many uh, warlords, son of dictators, corrupted people are uh, nominating themselves for the presidential elections in Libya. So uh, UAE is watching the, uh, closely the U.S. policies and is seeing that uh, the Biden administration uh, is uh, weak and uh, is not pushing back. So of course it will utilize such an opportunity to achieve its own goals and own agendas. Uh, yes, not uh, by following the previous uh, confrontational policies or tools, but by trying other uh, methods, uh, maybe through economy, maybe through uh, other means. And do you think that approach is, is working then, uh, give, given this uh, weakness of the Biden administration, or certainly the perceived weakness of the Biden administration? Well, uh, yeah. If we if we take, for example, the Tunisian case, uh, UAE uh, was very happy to see the soft coup happening there. Uh, we have we heard many official uh, statements supporting uh, the Tunisian president, pro- probably also uh, promising him financial assistance. Uh, the same thing applies for Sudan. No strong uh, reaction from the U.S. administration, and uh, it is very well known that uh, military leaders and the, the leader of the military coup is also close from the UAE. In, uh, for example, Libya right now, those who are nominating themselves for presidential elections are very close to the Emiratis. So I I, I don't see a failure here in this particular point uh, at this moment. Uh, so probably uh, they will utilize this uh, Biden administration period to the maximum. They did the same during, by the way, Obama administration. And uh, we should not forget that uh, uh, first successful uh, between uh, brackets, if I may say, a military coup against the Arab revolutions uh, occurred uh, in Egypt during uh, Obama's period. And the, the main beneficial was, and still from this point, uh, and this military coup is the UAE and Saudi Arabia. So I think that they are trying to copy some of the policies that they were followed uh, during Obama administration and apply them uh, right now during Biden's uh, administration uh, period. 
Now, now you mentioned Libya and indeed the presidential election coming up on the 24th of December. Uh, there's widespread popular discontent about the, the people that are running in that election, including the warlord Khalifa Haftar, who's thrown his hat in the ring. I guess no surprise that he would do that. But I'm just wondering, because he was a failure on the battlefield and the Emiratis backed him on the battlefield, he failed miserably when Turkey intervened in in Libya. Um, do you think that the uh, Emiratis would be happy to see him as president? Does that uh, serve their uh, soft and hard power interest to see uh, Khalifa Haftar, the, the warlord, emerge as president of Libya? Well, uh, when it comes to my own opinion, I uh, would certainly nominate him as the most miserable and uh, failure uh, uh, between brackets also military leader in the world. But uh, I think that uh, when it comes to UAE agenda in Libya, uh, we should not forget that they invested heavily in him. I mean, billions of dollars was spent to support him, military equipments bought, from uh, Russia and uh, other uh, countries to support him. Uh, mercenaries were uh, recruited. Wagner also were paid to uh, serve uh, Haftar and his mercenary armies. And uh, political uh, investments were made. Investments were made also on his behalf. So a lot of effort and money. Uh, were spent on uh, Haftar and I don't think that the UAE is willing to drop this fairly easily. They want to also see uh, rewards coming from these investments. Now they totally failed when they used the military to achieve their agenda but as I said before right now there is an opportunity and because of the Biden administration which is largely following the same line of Obama administration uh, they see that they might be able to uh, achieve their agenda uh, through uh, different means uh, including why not to nominate their men to the presidential elections if they uh, succeeded, they will take the power and stay uh, in the power, like we have seen in Sudan and uh, uh, in Tunisia. And if they fail, they will still be able to uh, launch a war maybe later, not now, maybe later. So uh, they will keep their options open. But the issue is that well, the international community also has uh, responsibility not to allow this to happen. I, I'm not sure what's the role of the High Commission for Elections if it's allowing uh, warlords and uh, murderers, uh, sons of uh, former dictators to uh, nominate themselves. Yani I, I can't see but chaos uh, happening in uh, Libya and I'm not uh, optimistic at all uh, when I see such developments. Yeah, you make a very interesting point there, Ali, that, that the, the uh, war criminals and uh, enormously corrupt uh, family uh, such as the Debeba family, uh, the, the uh, Libyan people are faced with an election that gives them really no hope. And Arif Nayed, you know, he's, he's also nominating himself. He was uh, a Libyan ambassador in uh, UAE and he's uh, very well known also to be corrupt and close to the Emirati officials. So I, I don't see actually a positive message here in this issue. Yes, uh, Arif Nayed, as you say, the uh, former Libyan ambassador to the Emirates, and of course, there's Saif al-Islam, the uh, son of Gaddafi. Um, but look, let's turn now to the relationship between Mohammed bin Zayed and uh, Turkey's President Erdogan. It's an interesting one, one that you've written about and we've spoken about before. Uh, 
they both eye the vacuum left by America, and they're using these kind of ideological distinctions to try and secure an advantage. I'm just wondering, who do you think has got the advantage? Well, uh, first, I, I, I have to say that I don't see the uh, UAE as a match for Turkey to be called a rival, because the UAE neither economically nor militarily is uh, as big as Turkey. So now, uh, the UAE is, is uh, mending fences uh, with Turkey through economy. I think that this is a very smart way, taking in consideration the, the escalation period we are currently in. I believe that there are three main reasons why UAE is using economy to mend fences with Turkey. And I think that uh, the first reason is that there is an economic interest in this issue. Uh, as you very well uh, know, the lira is uh, going down, it's unstable, and uh, there is an economic opportunity to buy uh, real assets with uh, cheap money. So I think that the Emiratis uh, think that there is an eco economic opportunity there, and uh, the, the Turkish economy will not stay in the current situation. It will go up again, and then it does, they will gain a lot of money from uh, these assets. Now, number two, I think that also using economy and not uh, politics to approach Turkey will send a credible message that the Emiratis are serious in de-escalating right now and um, both uh, parties will test each other through the economic agreements that they are uh, trying to reach in the current period so they will avoid uh, the problematic political uh, issues which is also a good step now number three i think that uh, by doing this, the UAE is buying influence and creating uh, future leverage, leverage inside Turkey. I think that they are, uh, this will help Abu Dhabi to be in a better position inside Turkey vis-à-vis -vis other players in the future, including Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And that's why I think that Doha and Riyadh have to monitor the Emirati activities very well. Uh, we have a very crucial elections it's supposed to be in 2023 but maybe it can happen uh, later and if any change in the political scene is happening in turkey the emiratis will be situated in a better position by investing more uh, money inside turkey i think this is part of the plan they are doing it right now interesting as you say the election coming up uh, in 2023 in turkey and erdogan is struggling. Uh, certainly, the economy is is damaging him. And again, as and an interesting thought you you put out as well that that the Emiratis are moving to solidify their position economically in Turkey at a time when Turkey is economically vulnerable. Let me uh, turn to Europe, if I may. Uh, President Macron and uh, Mohammed bin Zayed have a good working relationship. I mean, even to the extent of the UAE backing Macron against charges that he is enforcing Islamophobic policies. What, what do each of them get out of that relationship? Well, I, I don't have any doubt that uh, both are sharing uh, Islamophobic uh, policies. They are uh, 
strongly against also political Islam. So from this perspective, they share a common strong thing and they are not alone also. Uh, they can add Egypt and Saudi Arabia to this axis and uh, they have been working on this agenda for pretty much few years. It's not uh, something new. Now, the other thing is that also France is trying to present itself as an alternative um, to the uh, U.S. in decline in the region. Uh, I think the French are presenting themselves as we are able and capable of filling any vacuum that is left from the U.S. in the region and you can depend on us and uh, that uh, will make countries like UAE, Saudi Arabia and uh, Egypt closer to uh, Paris. Uh, number three, I think that uh, uh, military deals are playing a big role in the relation between UAE and France and France and these countries uh, because uh, I think that uh, France has been the second uh, uh, biggest supplier of weapons to, to these countries in the recent uh, few years. France have been, has been uh, pushing uh, aggressively to increase its uh, uh, military defense ex uh, equipment exports to these countries. So uh, there is also an interest in buying French weapons in times when maybe US or other countries uh, have reservations regarding uh, uh, UAE's foreign policy or a human rights policy. Uh, the same thing applies to Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And finally, I guess they share the, the trend that they support dictators in the region. We should not forget that France sponsored actually warlord Haftar, uh, despite denying this fact. Uh, French sponsored uh, Egypt and hosted him and gave him the highest uh, medal. Also, uh, France supported uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and uh, uh, the Emirati policies in the region against Turkey and against the political Islam, uh, including adding uh, Cyprus and Greece to this axis. So I think that they are pretty much uh, on the same page when it comes to Islamophobia and uh, anti-political Islam a trend in the region. Well, clearly Mohammed bin Zayed has carried that uh, attack against uh, political Islam very strongly for, for quite some time. Um, I want to finally, Ali, ask you about uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the Saudi crown prince. And, and he seems to have thrown down the gauntlet to the UAE in, in the business arena. So we have MBS pouring hundreds of billions into the tourism and entertainment sector. That's a direct challenge to Dubai. You have the competition for foreign investment. You have the demand from the Saudis that companies locate their regional headquarters in Riyadh. And of course, in the Yemen conflict, MBZ has secured pretty much everything he wanted to in the South, while MBS remains mired in an unwinnable war in the North. How strained do you think their relationship is? Well, uh, first of all, yes, you are right when you are saying he's throwing billions of dollars into uh, many sectors, but I, I, Saudi Arabia is much bigger and heavier than uh, uh, Dubai or UAE. And putting Saudi Arabia vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Dubai, I think that even if the Saudi officials uh, think this way. I think that this is uh, downgrading Saudi Arabia, uh, not other way uh, around. And I think that they should not be focusing on what Dubai is doing or how it's doing. But of course, they have the right to say if you want to uh, 
invest or if you want to work in our country, you should be situated here, not in Dubai. We should be uh, benefit from your work, not the others. Uh, but uh, whether they can do this or not, I'm not sure about it. Second, I'm also not sure about what's the end game here uh, for Saudi Arabia. I cannot see a clear strategy for this. So they have been struggling for a while to formulate a strategy in the region. I think that Saudi Arabia is the only country that currently doesn't have concrete relations with any other powerful regional player in the region, uh, unlike uh, for example, Turkey has good relations with uh, with Iran, and, uh, excellent relations with Qatar, improving the relations with UAE, at least temporarily. The Iranians have their own also settings. Uh, the uh, Emiratis uh, have uh, good relations with Israel lately. They have good relations with Iran. They are trying to improve their relations with Turkey. But the Saudis are alone. Uh, the relations with Turkey is not good. The relations with Iran is not good. The relations with, with the Emiratis, which they were their uh, number one allies uh, just uh, three years ago or four years ago, is not going well. So I'm not sure what's their strategy here. But I think that part of the where we have been seeing uh, uh, the Saudi interest clashing with the Emirati interest, I think that there are two main, main reasons for this. One is that there is, in, in fact, a contradiction in interest between the Saudis and Emiratis when it comes to the interest of the state, not of the individual or the ruler. Yani, uh, Saudi Arabia's interest in Yemen, for example, is running against the uh, interest of the Emiratis. Also, when it comes to the relation with Iran, also when it comes to the relation with, the, for example, uh, Assad regime. So we have fundamental different interests, but the issue is that the personal relation between uh, Mohammed bin Salman and Mohammed bin Zayed uh, was uh, closing this gap uh, of the uh, different interests between the two countries to the favor of the personal interest. Now, after Al-Ura agreement, I think that uh, there have been uh, uh, yani, a kind of tension between the two persons because I think that uh, Hamad uh, bin Zayed uh, didn't like to see the blockade against Qatar in any time soon. And uh, after that, uh, this personal tension developed into something else. And uh, of course, the interest or conflicting interest between the two states emerged to the top. And that's why it's very logical to see what's happening right now. But it is not logical to see uh, Saudi Arabia with, uh, without any strategy. I mean, it is uh, bogged down in, in Yemen, unable to uh, militarily uh, settle the war, unable to withdraw from the war, uh, because this will be interpreted as, an, uh, f as a failure, and uh, unable to reset its relation with Turkey, unable to uh, yani, fix its relation with Iran. So I think that Saudis have to decide what they will do in the uh, coming period. And Al-Ula, of course, the agreement that, that ended the, uh, the great Gulf feud. And, and and just to sum up uh, then, Ali, uh, do you feel that uh, the approach that the Emiratis are now taking in terms of their foreign policy initiatives in the region, do you think it's working? Well, this is a, a, a tough question because it depends on whether the answer is talking about 
the current situation right now or the coming period because I believe that whatever we are seeing right now, whether it's related to UAE or to Turkey or to Qatar or to Saudi Arabia or to Israel or to Iran, I think it is tactical in my uh, opinion. Uh, it depends very much on the uh, foreign factors, especially the uh, situation of the U.S. administration. And as we know, uh, we will also have uh, elections in the U.S. in 2024. And uh, if something happens there and if we witness a change, if another Trump comes, for example, I certainly don't believe that uh, the Emirati uh, or the other uh, the foreign policy of the other states will stay the same. I think that uh, we will see a change. And that's why I think that the current arrangements are of tactical nature rather than strategic nature in the region. Ali, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Bill. Always a pleasure to be with you. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Dr. Ali Bakir, an assistant professor at Ibn Khaldun Center for Humanities and Social Sciences, Qatar University, Doha. You can find his latest New Lines article, Mapping the Rise of Turkey's Hard Power, at newlinesinstitute.org. Well worth a read. In addition to our podcast, which I'm pleased to say have a rapidly growing global audience, Arab Digest publishes a newsletter featuring some of the very best MENA analysts. If you'd like a free trial to the Arab Digest newsletter, simply go to arabdigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended, we're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.